Welcome to What Happened to You, the podcast that interviews footballers of the past today about their interviews from the past. Don't worry, it will all make sense when you listen. On this episode, supported by the set pieces, we talk to former Bradford Park Avenue, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Coventry City and Bristol Rovers midfielder Kenny Hibbert about his focus on and super focus interviews for Shoot Magazine from around 1973 and 1983 respectively. You can find the original interviews on our Twitter feed at WHTYPod and on our dedicated channel over at The Set Pieces, www.thesetpieces.com. Full name? Kenneth Hibbert. Birthplace and date? Bradford, Yorkshire, 3151. Height? Five foot ten and a half. Uh, and do you still weigh 12 stone? I am just over. <laughs> I'm probably nearly 13 now. <laughs> well, that's not too bad, not too bad. How are you doing, Kenny? No. Welcome, to, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Very kind of you to invite me. Well, we've got a couple of these old shoot interviews of yours, uh, which are spread approximately 10 years apart, uh, that we're going to pick through in this episode. So let's see where we'll begin. Um, in both of these interviews, which were conducted while you were at Wolves, um, which is hardly surprising given that you were at Wolves for 16 years, which is phenomenal, really, in any day and age. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you only had one previous club to speak of, which was Bradford Park Avenue from your hometown. Um, and they're the only football league club I can think of that contained brackets in its name. You just had the one solitary season with them before leaving for Molyneux in 1968 uh, and Bradford Park Avenue were voted out of the football league just two years later. What do you remember about that time at, at Bradford Park Avenue? Well, I, I left school uh, at 15 years of age on a Friday and um, Bradford Park Avenue had offered me an apprenticeship on the Monday. So I had a weekend off from school um, and then I joined them on the Monday as an apprentice at 15 years of age. Yeah. And I was apprenticed then up until, uh, well, I got in the first team at 16 and uh, Wolves came uh, looking and took me to Wolves at 17. So I joined Wolves in 1968 at 17 years of age. Yeah. Well, in the, um, in the earlier of these two interviews, um, you weren't married yet, uh, but this should be able to date the exact publication of this edition of Shoot, because you said your wedding would be on the following Saturday, the 2nd of June. So what year would this be then? Um, 2nd of June was the year we got married in 1973. Good. Have you got them interviews that... The interviews you're talking about with the Gold magazines, yes, I was single, and, uh, and they do differ quite a lot actually uh having having looked at the uh the, the 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 magazine itself but things change then don't they yeah that's true well by the time and I, I, I did change it i did change eventually <laughs> well the, by the time the second interview came around you'd added a couple of kids to the hibbert family um a daughter yes. daughter age nine and a yeah. son age six um so if we jump to the modern day I'm, i imagine you must be a granddad by now as well i am I'm a, I'm a grandfather to uh, four grandchildren, um, two boys and two girls. Yeah. Oh well. And my son, my son's got a, my son's got a boy called Jasper, uh, and my daughter's got a son called Tom, 
uh, and girls, Ella and Lucy. Any chance any of them will follow in the uh, in your footsteps and, and make it into you know some sort of football, uh, some sort of level? Well, Tom, Tom, uh, he's eighteen now, uh, coming nineteen, and he uh, he was on the books of West Brom, which uh, didn't go down too well at the time. But uh, um, only as a schoolboy, it wasn't. Um, but he, he didn't progress that far because he, he had a back injury. He's had two bad back operations, and so that's knocked him, that knocked him back quite a lot. Uh, Jasper, my other grandson, he's a rugby player. My son's uh, my, my my son Rod was a professional golfer. Um, and his and his son Jasper wants to play rugby, so they both kept away from from football. I, I don't mind they, that that's what they wanted to do. It wasn't uh, my it wasn't my decision. It was their decision. I and I, I supported them. Yeah. Uh, and Rod now just come out. Uh, my son's just come out of the the the, uh, the golfing game and uh, doing a different job now. Yeah. Well, as you said, um, your answers will have changed over over the last forty odd years or so. Um, and one of the things, you, <laughs> one of the things you were asked were about um, who your favourite player was, and also yeah. your childhood football hero. So let's take these in turn, starting with your favourite player, uh, which was Chelsea's Alan Hudson. I chose him out because because at that time Alan was one of the best midfield players that I'd played against, uh, and also later was Alan Ball. Two, mm. two great players, two great midfield players. But my idol, when I was a boy growing up, uh, watching the World Cup in 66, um, was Bobby Charlton. Mm-hmm. And he will, he will always be my number one. Yeah. Um, well, well, you've also chosen um, Alfredo Di Stefano in one of these uh, interviews. Ah, now, there's, there's, there's a story to that, Mark. Yeah. Because when I was growing up, he was my father's favourite player. Uh-huh. And he looked like him. My dad looked like him. <laughs> and and he also, when he played amateur football, he was a striker. But Alfredo Di Stefano was his favourite player. And I, I said that because he rammed it down my throat <laughs> when I was growing up as a kid. Um, but he was a he was a marvelous marvelous player. But but my 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 uh, my schoolboy idol was Bobby. Bobby was always my favourite player. And then when I started playing professional football, obviously you're playing against Alan Hudson. And I was very fortunate in 1982 to play with him in Seattle for three and a half months. And what a player. He was just the kind of, he was the player that I always thought he was, just mm-hmm. by playing with him. And Alan Ball, well, a one-touch midfield player, um, Tiger, played against him many times. Couldn't get near him. He made the ball, move so quickly, and I, I just love watching him play. Yeah. So I, they're three main, three main players for me. Yeah. Well, let's move on to Wolves then. And in your yep. 16 years there, the club had plenty of ups, plenty of downs too, though. Um, and around the time of that first shoot profile, uh, and in the early 70s, Wolves were a decent cup side, finished fourth and fifth in the first division, and took part yep. in the UEFA Cup three times, reaching the final in 1972, where you lost over two legs to Tottenham in the first European final yes. to feature clubs from the same country. Uh, and as another footnote to, that, to the first leg of that final, um, I could just highlight that the, the referee when, was none other than Tofik Bakramov, who was, of course, the famous Russian linesman from the 1966 World Cup final. <laughs> um, that, that whole occasion and both legs must have been such um, special games to play in. Well, there were. Um, I didn't realise he was the linesman. The referee was the linesman in 1966. Mm. I didn't realise that. But, um, yeah, it, it, was, it was something that, as a kid, you always dream about playing at Wembley. You always dream about playing professional football, first of all, 
playing a, a cup final at Wembley. But to play in Europe was completely different. Um, I never expected to be, to be at 15, never expected to be playing in Europe. And as a young boy, I've, uh, you know, my holidays were one day in Blackpool, one day in Markham. You know, with sandwiches, like everybody else here, and fish and chips at lunchtime, and getting on the train and back home. Here I am now, uh, a professional footballer, playing first-team football, travelling all over Europe. You know, going to places like Turin and Juventus, um, Carlos Argena, Brian the Iron Curtain. It was a dream. I, I was still in a dream. It, getting on the plane was the first, first time I got on a plane. We was, we was going to play a European Cup. One of the uh, Europa Cup, well, it's called Europa. It's different now. UEFA, UEFA. Then now it's Europa. But um, yeah, that experience was was incredible. And there's no words can describe the feeling of of playing against these massive clubs. I mean, Capello played for Juventus uh, in that game as well. Um, so and uh, when we went to Turin, the great John Charles looked after us. And he took us all around to shot, and he was a complete idol over there. He was a knight, he was a king. Mm. And wherever he went, they bowed to him. He went into a shop and they bowed to him. And I'm, I'm watching this and thinking, wow, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, you're not an old kid from Bradford, you know, you think. But, but and it was an experience, as I said, that uh, I'll never forget. Um, and, to get, and to beat uh, Juventus in that quarterfinal and then, and then Faris Veros in the semi-final, I think if Inter Milan, uh, I think it was a big Tottenham, uh, Tottenham beat Inter Milan. If we did play Inter Milan, I think we'd have won that cup. But Tottenham was our, they were a pain in the bum, Tottenham to us, because they'd beat us in the FA Cup semi-finals, League Cup semi-finals, and also the UEFA Cup final. And so, I mean, I've got nothing against them, don't get me wrong, but but they were a pain for us. And uh, as I say, if we'd have played in Tolana, uh, I think we may have, maybe have won that. But it was a, it was a, it was fantastic period. Uh, like you said, in the, in the early 70s, finishing well in the, in the league, uh, which put us into Europe, um, winning the league, league Cup in 74 um, against a fantastic Man City team. It was all a dream come true for me. Playing at Wembley, I'd only seen Wembley Stadium once, and that was 1968. And that was to see West Brom win the Cup. Mm. And I went down there with my mate and his dad. Um, so to end up playing there as well, um, it was just, uh, it's just incredible. I look back and um, I speak many times to my daughters and my kids and they, they just get the violin out. And, but, but it is great, great memories. And uh, what you've mentioned there, Mark, it, it, was, it, was, um, it was a schoolboy's dream coming true. Well, I don't want to labour on Tottenham too much, but um, surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly, perhaps um, in the 1973 interview, you actually um, you didn't actually pinpoint losing the UEFA Cup final uh, as either your most memorable match or the most disappointing. Um, you chose the 1973 League Cup semi-final second leg against Spurs as the, the most memorable match, but also losing out on a place at Wembley at that stage as also your biggest dis- disappointment. So it sounds like it was a very bittersweet tie then as for it to, to, to actually top that UEFA Cup game? Yeah, it became, it, it, I said that because, because of that, that reason of not getting to Wembley for the first time. Mm. You know, it was, it was something that I watched every Cup final as a kid growing up. And watching the European Cup final with uh, 1968 with Magic United beating Benfica. And then, you know, they followed that, that followed the 66 World Cup, which was held at Wembley. And I had, I went in 1968 to watch the cup final, but 
to what to I wanted to play there so much so badly that it, it, that that game became yeah you know, the 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 um, the most memorable one uh, and the most disappointing one um, to be so close and yet to be so far and mm. then a year later it happened. So, you know, as a footballer, you dream of all If you haven't got dreams, you've got no chance of, of being successful. And uh, we all had dreams then. There was a lot of young lads at, at, at Wolves, uh, amongst some experienced players that helped us, the youngsters, get through that. But that, that 1974 was, um, when we got to the Wembley, it was incredible feeling. Uh, I just wanted to stay fit. I didn't want to get an injury up to the build-up and that. And um, consequently, the manager picked me and um, I was fit to play. And it was... Uh, I remember the 40, I think it was 43 or 44th minute when I scored the first goal. And, and that was, I lost my dad very early as a, as a 16 year old. He was only 40 when I lost my father. And his dream was to see me and Terry, my brother, play in a cup final at Wembley. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't live long enough to see that. But in that same year, Terry got to the FA Cup final with uh, Newcastle. And, and I was in the final with, with Wolves against Man City. And, and that, Together, me and Terry was, was well, we spent hours and hours and hours playing football in, in the field in the, on crappy pitches, you know, with glass all over the place and stuff like that. Uh, and there we were both playing in the cup final in the same year. Fortunately, I was, I was successful and he wasn't. And, um, but we both had our dreams come true in the same year. It was, it was, um, my mother was in the stand and she just cried all the second now because she saw my life my name up in lights, mm -hmm. uh, which she'd never, ever dreamt. And she was just thinking about my dad. They would love to have, have seen that. Um, mm. It was a, a magnificent occasion for him. But uh, it, was, it was a great period for us, yeah. Marshall's claiming that was handball. It's with Palmer. And now Sunderland. Back for Palmer again. Now, is this the moment? Hibbert with a shot! Well, um, well, we'll talk more about Wills shortly, um, but speaking about your dad there, actually, uh, in, in the question that asks you who your greatest influences were, of course, you mentioned your dad, um, but you yeah. also mentioned your managers at Wolves, Bill McGarry uh, and coach Sammy Chung. Yeah. Um, what was it yeah. about Sammy, those? Yeah. yeah, what was it about those two that sort of helped you develop and what did they add to your game as you got older? Well, Bill came, I, I, I when I Signed for Wolves in 68, uh, Ronnie Allen was manager. And I'd already been under about five or six managers at Bradford in two and a half years. And then he got the sack three days after signing me. I was, I was his last signing. And I thought, oh, no, you know, I've got, I must be bad luck on these people. <laughs> and then Bill McGarry, Bill McGarry came in uh, and he was a real hard nut. He, was, um, he wasn't well liked from a lot of the senior players at Wolves. But what he did for us, he gave all the youngsters an opportunity and the chance and I even whether you liked him or not you had to show some respect and I showed a lot of respect to him for for helping me become a, a first team player and um, he gave John Richards uh, exactly the same thing there was Alan Sunderland Stevie Daly he helped Jeff Palmer he helped all the youngsters through the system into the, into the first team and uh, he was very successful with us and he took us as I say to the cup final, um, uh, UEFA Cup final, and he, then he had a bad year after, in 1975, he had a, a bad, and, and they sacked him. 
Um, but he had a big influence on all those youngsters, and particularly myself. And even though he wasn't likable by, he wasn't liked by the senior players, I admired it, I, and I thanked him, and um, he, I had to respect him. But if he, if, when he spoke, you listened, and if you didn't listen, you, you were in trouble. A bit like Ron Saunders, they, 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 were, they were both in similar management styles. Um, but the senior players like Dugan, uh, Wagstaff, Munro, uh, Mike Bailey, they never really got on with it with him, but they went on the field and, and did a job for the team. We had a great team spirit and a great camaraderie. And I was part of that, and I, and I enjoyed that yeah, greatly. And I just listened to the senior players. But Bill McGarry, Sammy Chung was a, a great coach. He used to, we spend most afternoons just with the ball work and crossing and shooting and volleying and all. Uh, and Bill was the hard man of the two. So it was a good combination between Sammy and, and, and Bill McGarry, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's actually another family connection, isn't there, through Bill, Bill McGarry, because he went on to manage Newcastle when your older brother Terry was uh, a terrace hero at St. Yeah. James's Park in the late 70s. And I don't know if you know, but they still actually sing the, the, the Terry Hibbert song at Newcastle to this day. Um, <clears throat> in, these, in these interviews, you said that your favourite teams were Newcastle and then Gateshead, where Terry was playing and then managed uh, at the time of the interviews. Yeah. Um, uh, how similar were you both as, as players? Because you both were midfielders, you know, you both looked fairly similar. You, you know, he must have been a great role model for you because he was, what, four or five years older than you? He was three years older. Oh, okay. Um, but he, he joined Leeds as a 15-year-old when I was uh, 12. And he used to come home and tell me all about it. And that's how, that's what really gave me... Um, a feeling of I want to follow in his footsteps, but we, you know, as kids, he was a left footer, I was a right footer. We we played a lot of of, of games, like, um, twenty five yards apart, just striking the ball at each other and, and so forth. But when he went to Leeds, he used to tell me, and I used to go watch Leeds youth team, uh, and and it was a fantastic setup up there. And um, I just wanted to be a pro footballer like he was, and and he went on to do extremely well at at Leeds. But he had so many good players in front of him. He want he want an established first team player. He was in and out, in and out with Eddie Gray, who was one of the best players around at that time. He was competing with him off on the left side of midfield. So he had to move to get regular first team football. And that's when he went up to Newcastle. And he absolutely loved it. I mean, he was a Yorkshireman before, we, before he died. He was a Yorkshireman talking Geordie. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, under, I couldn't understand him in the end uh, the, because he just picked up, he got married and uh, his children was up there. And, and then Bill McGarry went to, went to Newcastle and Bill tried to sign me to play with him. Him on the left, me on the right. And I remember sitting on the stairs up to, up to the bedroom, sitting on the stairs with the phone of me and talking to Bill McGarry about this. Um, but it never materialised. I would have loved to play with Terry because the only time I ever played with him in the same team was when I was eight and he was 11 in the schoolboy final. And so it would have been nice to have been able to um, to do that again. But but Wolves was my 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 club, my team. I didn't want to leave. If they if they want to sell me, then that would have been different. But it wouldn't have been my choice to move. Um, but Terry, when he, when he died, I realised how how important it was to that football club and, and their fans. When uh, the funeral, there was thousands lined up on the street. Came and I, that that's that told me how much they loved him up there and they still do. Um, and uh, it was a, 
it was a sad day, but at the same time, looking back, it was a day of, of, of the fans showing the respect towards him in the achievements that he made at, at Newcastle. And he'll never be forgotten, um, they say. And uh, yes, he, 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 was a, he was a black and white. Yeah, he, he came back. He came from Newcastle, not Birmingham, but he, he wasn't. He wasn't happy at Birmingham City, and he, he went back to Newcastle, and, and unfortunately, that's where that's where we lost him. But his family's still up there, so it was. Um, yeah, it was, it was a tough time at that time as well. But um, I miss him. I think of him every day. Uh, we spent so many hours playing together, and it um, not me for six. I was manager at Walsall when he died in '94, and um, I, I never felt. Right for for must be over a year before I came to you know accept his death. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a moaner. It was a groaner. We had arguments every time we met up. Didn't matter where we were, we'd have a pint and uh, and have the, a strong discussions. But yeah, so he was a um, he was a great brother and uh, he, he's, he's badly missed. Uh, well, like most footballers, he had a great interest in a number of other sports, um, but golf seems to be your favourite, and, and you twice picked out the great Jack Nicholas yeah. as the person you'd most like to meet. Now, he was a true sporting icon, genuine yeah. superstar up there with the likes of Muhammad Ali, Pele, or anyone else you care to mention um, in the 20th century. Absolutely. Um, well, I took golf up when I was playing, uh, when I came down to Wolves. I mean, I used to do pitch and put in Bradford, um, but... Then when it came down to Wolverhampton, um, at that time you had a lot, of, a lot of time um, to do other things, and people went snooker, people went to the bookies, and I didn't want to do that. I wanted to get out onto the golf course. Bill McGarry was a four handicap, and he introduced me to the golf. And um, and in 1974, I joined a golf club, and I met a great guy, Tony Weston, who was off scratch, a uh, good county player. And we got good friends and we got together and I went from 16 handicap down to five handicap in about eight months with him. And he taught me all I knew about it. And, I, and, that, and that just, you know, that's all I wanted to do. It was secondary to, um, to, the, goal, uh, to the football. Mm. But I was also um, half-decent cricketer way before I, before I left Bradford. I had, a, I had an average of 95 when I left Bradford. Played in the Bradford League with David Bairstow, which is, you know, Johnny Bairstow's father. He was my best mate at school, so uh, we had a we had um, a really good time playing cricket as well. So the, the the football always came first, then the, then it was the cricket and then the golf. But as I as I got more experience at golf, I got down to scratch when I moved down um, down to the West Country, uh, and as I got older, I got better, and I had five or ten years playing for the Gloucestershire County Senior Team. Oh. So and I still play golf. I'm off three now, but it's, I'm getting older and the, and the length's getting shorter and there's nothing I can do about it, Mark, you know? But um, yeah, it was, they, were, they were the three sports that really, I've been very fortunate to be able to be half decent at all of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've got to say, I love your choices here for your favourite singers because they're so typical of the time. Um, in the 1973 interview, you picked out Brat Pack crooner Dean Martin and Greek star Nana Muscuri. And in the 1983 profile, yeah. you've moved on to Neil Diamond, Leo Sayer, and this is the best one, the Nolans. <laughs> I swear, I swear, my parents still. I swear, <laughs> my parents have still got these LPs, so you're not the only one. No, me and me and my wife had a laugh with it when you sent me that. When I looked at the at the uh, 
at the shoot magazine with all these, no, it's crazy. It was absolutely crazy. I mean, they were doing well at the time probably and that's the reason why I, I picked them up. But um, I used to have uh, Led Zeppelin and uh, Steppenwolf, uh, Deep Purple, I had all that. And of course, mm. when I met Robert Plant at Wolves, uh, 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 it was like, why did I mention him? Why did I say I don't these know. I can't, I can't believe you missed uh, Led Zeppelin and Robert Plant. And Jay said, why did you mention Nini Muscori? <laughs> but Dean Martin, yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of um, cassettes that they are, <laughs> Dean Martin's. Um, but yeah, it, 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 was, it was all the period at the time. It was all what was going on and who was doing well. And, yeah, but I, I've never, um, yeah, I was, I was, I like heavy rock. And my mate in Bradford and my best man there, I used to have a Cortina and uh, when I went home to Bradford, we he used to put them on and he used to blast it, open the windows and and we were we, we was idiots really when you think back. I mean, we, we was we was we weren't we weren't being naughty at all, but he was he was just mm. the Led Zeppelin and uh, the Steppenwolf and Deep Purple was just wonderful to listen to in the car. You know, and um mm. Yeah, it, 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 it was some funny, funny answers to some of them questions that, that you mentioned. Yeah, well, um, speaking of cars, you mentioned the Ford Cortina there, which is what you had in 1973. Yeah. And if we go 10 years later, you've upgraded to a BMW 320. Um, <laughs> were, you, were you one of those players who liked having a fancy car? Not, not that your wages were so you know, great as they are these days. Well, you, you, know, you couldn't afford a Ferrari, but yeah. I mean, you know, a BMW would have been pretty snazzy in the day. Well, yeah, we, I went to America, uh, as you said, that was in 82. Uh, and that's when I bought the, the BMW when I came back. I, I earned a little bit more than I did when I, while I was at Wolves, um, but not a great deal. I, I still had to take a loan out. And my wife wasn't too happy with the loan and the mortgage we played on the house. Um, but I always wanted, um, yeah, I, that, was, that was my most expensive car I had was that BMW. It was second down, you want a new one. Um, but he was, it was, we lived up a hill. My, my wife had a fiesta and when the snow came, I couldn't get up the hill to the house in the BMW, but she used to go straight past me in her fiesta and got to the top and I had to have three or four runs at it to try and get up and out of the snow and it didn't last long then after that. So okay. I, I changed it then to a Volvo, I think it was. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was, uh, the seventies was a, was a really good time and, and the eighties, early eighties. It was just special for me as a as a footballer. Yeah. Um, on the big screen in 1983, you'd recently enjoyed the films Stripes and Airplane, which are both classics, of course. And on TV, you picked out Sports Night, Morecambe and Wise, and and Falcon Crest. Kenny, <laughs> come on, Falcon Crest. What's that about? <laughs> well, my wife liked watching it, so I had to watch it. Um, but yeah, uh, that's another one we laughed at when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. I don't know. Listen, but I don't understand why you know some of these answers I gave was there. But uh, it, it, it was what it was at that time, you know. Yeah. Markham and Wives was always funny. They always made me laugh. Um, and that's been taken over by Only Fools and Horses now. I know everything that's coming out of his mouth. I watch. I must have watched him twenty thousand times. I've got all the. I've got all the um, videos of him. I, I watch every weekend when it's on. So, I, and I'm still watching it now, and I'm still laughing. And Jane, my wife's upstairs, and she knows exactly what I'm laughing about. And I know what's coming out. But they, yeah, they're in that in that time, um, 
I wasn't a great TV addict anyway, but, but so some of the answers that, that I gave was probably just came to my head at the time. Um, yeah, I, we've had a laugh. Thanks for all that, Mark, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, your favourite food and drink, you mentioned steak, fish and Tetley's Bitter, which is, I mean, that's spoken like a true Yorkshireman, that. Oh, hi. Well, you've got to have a pint of Tetley's. But I am had one for a long, long time. Um, yeah, steak. Steak was always um, on the on my on my uh, Friday night before a game. Would be a uh, Thursday night would be the steak for the protein. Friday would be the spaghetti. And mm. um, and my kids had that every Friday. And when even when they got mad, they were still taking, they were still having spaghetti on a Friday. <laughs> but steak, yeah, steak, fish, fish. Uh, I'd have a twelve o'clock before a game. I'd have a nice piece of light fish or, or maybe um, a boiled piece of boiled chicken so anything light at 12 o'clock on match day but that, that's the reason why I steak there were pastas and then fish on uh, or, or chicken on the Saturday mm. mind you that before when I first went to Wolves it was a thick steak on a Saturday lunchtime Oof. about two inch thick steak and and toast and that and Bill McGarry came in and bang com he completely knocked it out no more, no more. And he was quite right. You can't go and play a 90-minute game with a big steak in your tummy. So he changed it to scrambled eggs or, or boiled chicken. Mm. Right. Let's get back to talking about Wolves and the second half of your long career there. It starts badly with relegation, <coughs> as you said, to Division 2, uh, but you bounced yeah. straight back the following year. Uh, it continued to be a struggle in the league, but then <coughs> came the second League Cup win this time against European champions Nottingham Forest in 1980. And that's some achievement, that, because when um, when you played Cluffy's side, they were at their absolute peak. Best in UK, best in Europe. Absolutely. They were a, they were a wonderful um, team. Um, there were no... There were no uh, I, Trevor Francis probably was the biggest name there, but the, the team that they had um, was all genuine, honest footballers. That, that Brian had put together and remarkably did exceptionally well winning the European Cup. And we knew that going into that game, we was in for a hard afternoon, that's for sure. It was like similar to the 74 against Man City who had a lot of possession. And they had a lot of possession against it in 1980, did um, Forest. But we had one special guy up front um, in Andy Gray that was always, he gets half a chance. He, he will put it away and because um, we had to rely on a mistake by Needham and uh, Shilton who collided with each other on the edge of the box and even to this day Andy said he read it I said get out of it you didn't read that it, you just and it bobbled right in front of the mm. six yard box and I'm thinking Andy put it in with your left foot don't try it with your right foot because you'll miss and he tapped it in and he went berserk. And Andy always did. He did that in five sides. He was he was a winner. He, he, snooker, whatever you play, and he wanted to win. And he was absolutely ex ecstatic about that goal. But it took us, uh, and, and we ended up winning the cup. Um, and it was a wonderful achievement. We was again underdogs. We were an underdogs in '74, and all cup finals we know in history that the underdogs they come through sometimes, like Wimbledon did that year. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it was a tough match. It was a great experience again. Um, so we played twice and won twice there. So I was expecting a third time, but it never happened. Right? No, well, uh, after the League Cup win, 
um, not sooner, yeah. not long after actually, came four relegations in five years and suddenly this great old bastion of English football found itself in the fourth division, having mixed it with the elite just five or six years earlier. Um, you'd already moved on to Coventry City after the second relegation from the top flight in 1984. Um, yeah. Things at Molyneux were a right mess on and off the field, weren't they? That, that's absolutely right. And um, we couldn't believe the demise in such a short time. Uh, that, that we've come from winning the League Cup in 1980 to uh, a team and, a, um, and the club was in dire straits. And I was told um, that from the manager that things weren't looking too clever financially. And um, they offered me, after 16 years, they, they offered me another contract there, but it was like, it was like a take it or leave it feeling. Uh, that, and I knew that there was financially in... in in crisis and I didn't I didn't jump uh, a sinking ship it was they had to get rid of the players financially um, to survive and I I didn't want to be part of that and um, when I say part of it I didn't, I didn't want to be one of the players that would would help the club sink mm. so I moved on and uh, they brought some a lot of youngsters in but it, it, it didn't work very well I went to Coventry and in that period of the two years I was at Coventry to 86, that's when the club went down to the second, third and fourth divisions. And then when two or 3,000 people, and we've, I've played at Molyneux with 55,000 there, with 10,000 locked out, playing against Leeds and, and, the, and Liverpool when they had to come to Molyneux to win the league. Mm. So it was very sad from the outside, again, looking in. Wolves have always been here in my heart, always have been and always will do. But to see them fall so quickly and rapidly it, it was it was a real shock um and it took a lot of building back up again um but at that time i never thought they'd come back i really didn't mm. yeah well thanks they are aren't they yeah it was very sad to see um them go so far down and then getting beat in the cup by a non-league size it just it just wasn't it wasn't right over in such a short period yeah, yeah. But it happens. It happens. It's happened before and it'll happen again. Yeah. Not at Wolves, but it will happen to other clubs. Yeah. Well, you finished playing with two years at Coventry, followed by two years at Bristol Rovers. So after <clears> a 20-year <throat> playing career came to an end, what happened to you then? Well, I brought my... I was 37. I was... Um, I'd had two good years with Bobby Gould and then Jerry Francis took over the manager's job at Bristol Rovers. We got promotion, we won the championship. Uh, we took him to Wembley for the first time in the club's history in the Autoglass. Jerry was talked about moving either to QPR or Tottenham's manager. And um, I brought my leg playing against Sunderland. So I knew that my career was probably over. Uh, I did come back for 15 minutes as a sub. Jerry, Jerry put me on against Chesterfield uh, for 15 minutes. And uh, I didn't know that it was when I was at Bradford, I made my debut as a, pro, as a footballer against Chesterfield and I ended it against Chesterfield. So from then I, I went to, um, he, was, he was moving out. The club didn't offer me, I was assistant manager. They didn't offer me the job if Jerry left. So I applied for the Walsall job in 1990, which, which actually built uh, John Barnwell, who was our manager in 80 when we won the League Cup. Um, he was just got the sack from Walsall, so yeah. it, it, 
he sort of um, yeah, and I I love John Barnwell. He was a he was a great manager, great great football manager, a great player, great history. And so I went into I went into Walsall, and they'd just be relegated two years on the trot, and that was um, that was a tough tough. Uh, it was a tough job to take for a first for my first job mm. as a manager, um, but I went in there, rolled my sleeves up like I always did, and um, grabbed all of them, and I made Dean Smith the captain as an eighteen-year-old, who's now manager of Villa. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, 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 that's where my managerial career started, and I was there for four years. Uh, and what are you doing now? Um, well, I've just finished with the Premier League. I used to, for the last 17 years, I've been assessing um, the match officials mm -hmm. as a match delegate. We call match delegates. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I've been doing that for 17 years. And uh, this, just this last couple of weeks, uh, I had a phone call saying they weren't going to renew my contract. And so now I'm doing nothing. Oh, okay. But that's been an interesting. <laughs> well, I'm talking to you, Mark. And that's yeah. Good. Well, indeed, yeah. <laughs> Um, I bet that's been interesting, though, um, having to, you know, now that they're under so much scrutiny and, of course, we've got VAR and everything now, I bet, you know, it's been yeah. an interesting experience, I guess, for you to, you know, what, what you say probably has to, you know, impact yeah. greatly on how they officiate games. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, when I, I was a caddy for four years as well as manager, um, and I did a bit of work on the... Uh, on the press association, uh, doing the stats and stuff like that. What you know, and then uh, we got a phone call from London saying, uh, I mean, Frank Clark actually put my name forward. Um, there were a uh, new initiative being com uh, coming out, and um, my wife picked the phone up and they said, Would well, Ken be interested in assessing the officials? And she started to laugh because I was a nightmare with the officials when I were on the pitch and when I were managing. Um, so I went down to London to see what it was all about, and it was quite interesting. It was something that I'd never been involved with before, but I knew that it was going to be tough for for, um, for the officials, and they wanted our help. They wanted to they wanted to learn how to how to manage players on the pitch, you know. And with the influx of the foreign players coming in, it was going to get more difficult for them. And and so I started doing that, and and I've been doing it for seventeen years, and. It's been very, very interesting for me. I've seen a different insight to football from mm. their point of view, from their perspective, how difficult it is. Yes, they are scrutinised. And, and we did a debrief after every game and, and telling where, where they could be improved, how we can do this. And I've been very fortunate. I've had, I, had, um, I had Anthony Taylor for a year. I was, I was summoned to, to watch him for a year and, and help him and he's now top of the league he's got the Super Cup coming up which I'm very proud to be part of that and he's he's called me to thank me for all his in, uh, the input I have had with him uh, Michael Oliver is another one that we did I had Howard Webb before he went to the World Cup um, I've done presentations me sitting doing the presentation to all these all these officials and their and their coaches and that um, I started off a little bit Nervous, but I ended up doing 55 minutes. Mm -hmm. you know, as you know, I can talk a bit, can't I? <laughs> well, perfect, uh, and, perfect guest for a podcast. <laughs> and so, so, yeah, I did all that. And, um, and it's sad that it's come to an end um, yeah. just last week. Yeah. yeah. So now at the moment, um, doing the garden, painting and decorating, spending a bit more time with my wife, um, playing a bit of golf um, and talking to you. It's lovely. Yeah. 
Uh, well, what advice would you give yourself <laughs> back in the 70s and 80s that would set you on the right path in football and, and life generally? Well, um, discipline has always been pretty good. I've always had a, I mean, when I got married in 73, um, my wife was a massive influence on lots of things with me, for me. Um, she dealt with a lot of the children as they were growing, they were growing up. I was away playing or mm. um, on tour or whatever we were doing. So, yeah, uh, without her support, um, I'm not sure I've had the, the career that I've had. But I've well, been very, very fortunate. Well, Kenny, uh, our time is up. And I've got to say, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast to talk about these old interviews um, and to get you dredging through the old memory banks for us to talk about the Nolans and Falcon Crest and all of that. So <laughs> thank, thank you very much for coming on. You're very welcome. It's Great. been a real pleasure, Mark. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to What Happened to You. You can find us across all the main podcast platforms, so please don't forget to subscribe. For updates about future guests and new episodes, follow us on Twitter at WHTYPod. For extra content related to what happened to you, including the original interviews that inspired this episode, visit our friends The Set Pieces at www.thesetpieces.com and follow them on Twitter at The Set Pieces. We'll be back again soon, so until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.